This is an ohs.com.au production. Welcome to episode 26 of the Australian Health and Safety Business Podcast. I'm Brendan Tarazzi, the host of the show, and today I'm with Lisa O'Brien, who is the CEO of the Smith Family. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Brendan. Thanks, thanks for having me on. Yes, no, it's been it's been great to uh, get you on the show. So I'm really um, interested in just giving our listenership a bit of an overview of what the Smith Family do. So the Smith Family is Australia's largest education-focused children's charity. We've been around since 1922, supporting disadvantaged kids. In the last 20, 30 years, we've really focused on supporting those children with their education because we realise that um, education is actually the key to breaking that cycle of intergenerational poverty, and so that's uh, the focus of everything that we do now. We are a large organisation. We're working in every state and territory across 94 communities. And last year, our work reached 140,000 children and young people. Oh, congratulations. That's amazing. It is amazing. You know, we have been growing over the last few years with the generous support of the public. And we know that there's huge need out there. There's 1.1 million kids who are growing up in poverty. Wow. That, I mean, that sounds like a huge part of the population. One in six kids are living wow. below the poverty line and we know that will impact on their educational outcomes and so whilst we're reaching a significant proportion, there's still a lot to be done. Is it getting worse or do you think it's getting better? Sadly, I don't think it's getting better. I think it's staying about the same when you take into account population growth over uh, the period that you know, we've been focusing on that area. So, you know, I think that... The reason I don't think it's improving is because I don't think people really understand the extent of the problem. That's why I always make a point of telling people one in six Australian kids are growing up in poverty and that will impact on their education. It's very easy to live in a bubble really, isn't it? I mean, mm. I wouldn't have ever thought that, 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 that it was such a high percentage. Yeah, I know. I mean, look... We live in large, sprawling cities and unless you're living in a community where you, you have direct experience of, of that poverty, then yes, it's hard to be unaware of it. And you know, it's not, um, you're not always obvious and the impact of poverty can be quite subtle but far-reaching. So for kids, say, growing up in you know, Western Sydney, their parents are in financial distress, for those kids, you know, they'll be at school often without the new shoes, often with secondhand clothing. They won't have the chance uh, to go on an excursion because their parents can't afford it. Many of these kids will come to school hungry. They feel like they don't fit in and so they disengage. And so they're the subtle signs. If you look closely at a child you know, in one of those schools, you might be able to tell that you know, they are experiencing the effects of poverty. So is that the gateway for you to go via the school system and, and sort of work with schools to identify kids that you think may be at risk? Yes, that's right. So we have a large number of partner schools that we work with across the country and we will approach those schools around um, helping us to identify kids who they think are being adversely affected by 
um, their financial circumstances and then we work with the family. So they'll help us identify a child but then we reach out uh, to the family and enter into an arrangement with them around um, financial support for that child's education and also um, encouraging them to access a whole range of education focused programs that we offer. So these are sort of programs that we offer outside the school gate, so in conjunction with the school, but there's sort of things like after school learning clubs or careers programs or extra reading support programs to supplement what's happening in school. So we really partner with schools and we engage with parents around their child's education. So obviously um can you can you give us an example of how i don't know you've come in you've a child has come into contact with the smith family Mm -hmm. they've been part of some of your programs and what difference has Mm -hmm. it made so uh, these kids that we will recruit so i've been describing our learning for life program which is a long-term education focused scholarship program so a child will come onto that program usually in primary school and then we will go with them over the long term because the research tells us it's long-term support that will make a difference to that child and so we've tracked that child all the way through school so the outcomes that we measure for those kids uh, are they attending school regularly because that's how you will a child will engage with their education and and that attendance is actually a condition of the ongoing financial support that we provide so are they attending uh, how many of them finish year 12 and then how many of them are going on to employment or further study and on this intensive program i've been describing learning for life we have 50,000 kids on scholarship around Australia. That's amazing. It is. And, it's and, a huge number. And so what was it, say, this time last year? Uh, well, we are growing significantly. Mm-hmm. So yep. this time last year we were at about uh, 38, 39. Oh, wow. That, I mean, that's, yeah. what, 25%, more mm-hmm. than 25% yeah. growth in a year. Actually, it was probably a little higher than that. I think it was more okay. like the low 40s. But we've been, we've, we're on a four-year program of growth, yep. going from 32,000 up to 56,000 by the end of 2020. So in 12 months' time, we'll be at 56,000, yep. having grown over three and a half years, really, from 32,000. So my, my business brain is going, oh, my God, how many staff do you need to <laughs> run a thing like that? I mean, how many staff do you have? We have in total across the organisation um, just under 800. Okay. Um, and we have over 8,000 volunteers. Okay. So a big component of the, the work that we do is supported by volunteers. A lot of our programs, the ones I was talking about before, mm. they're delivered by volunteers. The mentoring programs, the learning clubs after school, many of them are run by volunteers. So- so with those volunteers, I'm, I'm thinking of some of the health and safety issues that may come up. What, what sort of, I guess, precautions or safety measures do you put in place to ensure that the kids are safe but also the volunteers and staff are also protected? Yeah, so, well, all of our volunteers go through the ones who are working in delivering programs. They go through working with children's checks as well as police checks uh, and everyone has to have had those checks before they are either staff or volunteers before they can work um, with a child who we're supporting. Uh, They also will have training in our various policies and procedures so that they're aware of what their obligations are in working for us. We, because we have such a large number of volunteers, we 
you know, the, we don't really distinguish in terms of the sort of checks and policies and procedures and role descriptions. We don't distinguish that much uh, between full-time staff and volunteers in terms of our attention to that kind of detail. Yeah. Uh, so it's really about making sure those policies and procedures are in place and that uh, the staff are appropriately trained. You know, the sorts of things that we take care of are around um, ensuring that team members, whether a volunteer or a um, staff member, that they're not working alone. Um, they're not working in a, in a single worker site. Because we work across 94 communities, you know, we have a very dispersed work, workforce, but we make sure that they're working in a site where there are other uh, team members about or, you know, in an environment where there are sort of in a shared office space or as part, you know, in a school. But one of the challenges with schools is they close for many weeks a year. So if we do have staff on their own in the school, we'll bring them back into the sort of state office over yep. that period so that, you know, they're not alone in a, fair, in a relatively isolated environment. Yeah. So does that mean 94 different office leases or as, as you try and lend spaces and yeah. community centres, et cetera? Exactly. So we'll often sublease a small amount of office space. Sometimes, you know, we pay peppercorn rent for that. Sometimes we get it for free. Uh, sometimes we have to pay commercial rents, but we always try and avoid that wherever yep. we can. Yep. Like this place in the middle of Sydney CBD, I imagine... It's not peppercorn rent, so... No, it's well subsidised. Oh, that's so good. That's yeah. good. That's good. And so if we were to sort of look at your revenue sources, government versus private benefactors or the community, how is that made up just in percentage terms? So we get about 30% of our funding from government, which is, compared to other charities, that's relatively... Uh, a small amount and that's been quite a conscious thing because we've always seen ourselves as quite an independent organisation and wanting to work in partnership with government but to be also uh, independent so that we can um, you know, run the programs that you want to run. Exactly yeah. and yeah. you know and the policies that you know we want to put in place. Uh, so the balance comes uh, from a whole range of uh, private sources uh, from individuals who are sponsoring a child. So the program I was talking about before, Learning for Life, the long-term sponsorship program, most of those kids are supported by an individual who is um, supporting them over the, the long term. Uh, we have a number of corporate partners who provide direct program support or in-kind pro bono support. Um, and that's a significant revenue stream for us as well. We run appeals. We've just finished our winter appeal uh, and raised $5 million just of individuals making a donation um, in cash at that time mm. of the year. So it's very, very diverse, the, the way in which we receive funding for that balance. And you know, we raise um, uh, over $70 million a year through those various channels. That's amazing. So $70 million privately and then 30 million from the government mm -hmm. is that roughly mm -hmm. amazing yeah. Yeah. um one of the things that struck me about the smith family when you look at the accounts it's how well run it seems to be like it's very efficient in the way that you spend money is that something yeah. that's been learned or is it how have you got how have you got there you know because a lot of charities have that reputation of wasting money mm. on administration or look it's um 
I think I've been here now for eight and a half years and there's always been that culture of being very careful with how we spend our money and making sure that, you know, we're really effective in every dollar we spend. I think it, I mean, the Smith family was founded by five businessmen and I think that sort of culture of, you know, business thinking is is part of the organisation in its DNA and so we're quite commercial in how we think about things and, you know, I certainly bring that commercial thinking to the role. It's been a big focus of mine that if we... Firstly, if we're taking or asking donors to give us money, uh, I want to be certain that we are spending that as effectively as possible and that we're achieving measurable outcomes in return for the investment they're making in our work. So that's been a, a big focus for me. So then you really have to do drill in on what is the return on investment that we're achieving and what is the impact of the work that we're doing. And so that sort of you know, business frame, commercial thinking, you know, that's a big part of how we are as an organisation. And of course, uh, the ability to provide a whole lot of services using a volunteer workforce is a part of that as well because if we um, weren't able to access that generosity from the broader community, our cost of service delivery would be much, much higher. Mm -hmm. So I just realised in speaking to you that I didn't introduce you correctly. It's actually Dr Lisa O'Brien. And so can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up being the CEO of, you know, probably Australia's most famous charity. Yeah, I lo it, look, it's, um, yeah, sometimes I go, how did I end up here? <laughs> but then I go, I'm really glad I did. Because yeah. it was, I mean, I started as a medical practitioner. I then specialised in health services management. So I'm a medical administrator uh, originally by, by, you know, that was my further training and so I worked in health services management so in leadership roles in health services for a number of years but working in um, in hospitals in the health sector you do see a very broad um, slice of the community and so I certainly recognised early on that there are segments in our community that are really suffering um, from significant financial disadvantage and that that has a knock-on effect on their health but also on their their children their children's well-being and their educational attainment so i was always very aware of disadvantage in the community and i guess had a strong sense of of social justice and so then as my career progressed uh, i went through a period where um, i was working less than full time and got involved in a project in my local community which was founding a drop-in center for homeless women uh, and then as, as my career progressed and I'd been through various leadership roles, I was thinking it'd be really, really amazing to have the opportunity to lead a community organisation providing services to disadvantaged kids. So I actually saw this ad, the, there was an ad in the paper for the oh, CEO wow. of the Smith family. Okay. And I thought, I really want that job. So yeah. I applied and I had a very large number of interviews and look I don't think anyone was more surprised than me when I <laughs> managed to land the role but and I kind of can get why because it's such a very diverse role leading an organization like this uh, from obviously understanding you know, the communities in which we work but also understanding fundraising and I had done some of that I'd obviously had leadership experience I'd worked for government and a lot of what we do here at the Smith family is working with government so 
It was that kind of breath, I suspect. Meant, meant to be, it sounds like. Either that or I just fooled them. <laughs> but, you know, they've, they've kept me on, so it must be okay. Because I imagine you'd have to be, you know, quite a special person to want to, you know, it's it's not just a job, right? You've got to, you've, you'd have to have other drivers to, to make you want to keep yeah. coming back, I guess. Yeah. Uh, look, I, uh, I love this organisation. I love the people that I work with here. I love the families and communities that we have the chance to support. So it is, you know, a role like this is really um, more about your passion for yeah. the mission. Um, yeah. And, but also for me, it's about, you know, excellence and doing it, doing a role like this really well, as we were saying before, I think, uh, an organisation like this one, just like any other, has to be very focused on being effective and, you know, what is our vision and what are the values of the organisation and how do we maximise our effectiveness in delivering yeah. on that mission. So oh, you, I would imagine you must get a huge amount of joy from, uh, you know, being able to make a difference. Oh, absolutely. It certainly gets me out of bed every morning. Oh, that's great. And so uh, we, you talked about growing up to 56,000 children. Mm-hmm. What else is on the horizon for the Smith family? So we are just uh, just kicking off the third year of our current five-year strategy and that over the five years we plan to grow the total number of children and young people that we support by 30%. So the growth in the Learning for Life scholarship is, is part of that. That's the biggest program that we offer and so we're well on track there but with the range of other programs that we offer we're also growing so we anticipate that by uh, 2022 we will reach 156,000 children and young people across the country. Oh okay so and and that's part of what we were talking about at the outset that there's this big problem of 1.1 million kids growing up in poverty and that we really set our aspiration for these five years to reach more of them. Yeah. We, we also, you know, recognising we can't reach all of them, have also focusing a lot on advocacy, trying to help the broader community to, to have a greater awareness of this issue of poverty in mm. our community and what it means for children. So does that mean that the Smith family, would you be the biggest player in, like, in this space? Because, I mean, that, if there's 1.1 million kids and you're going to reach 156,000, that's like, that's mm. almost 15% of the kids in Australia that you're helping, which is a huge achievement. Yeah, look, we probably are one of the largest in terms of program reach. Yeah. Certainly with our education focus, I think we are the largest education focused. So a not-for-profit's different in in the sense that would you work, like I'm going to call them competitors, but is it a collaborative kind of environment where you sort of you're all effectively trying to do the same thing, which is to support disadvantaged kids. How, how do you work together to, yeah. to achieve those goals? Look, we, we certainly work together at the, on the delivery side. So, yeah. you know, we're working in 94 communities and our team members who are working in those communities, um, they can't you know, deal with every problem that a family might be presented with. So if there's an issue... 
you know, of, say, domestic violence in one of the families that we work with. That's not our core area of specialty. So we would then... Refer them to an organisation who specialises in that area. And similarly, you know, if if one of those organisations had a child that they thought would benefit from our program, then they might make that warm referral as well. So certainly on the delivery side, we, we collaborate very closely with other community service organisations. Well, you know, on the fundraising side, well, yeah. you know, yeah. it is... <laughs> there's lots there's of great... a certain amount of dollars going around and... And yeah. lots of great causes. Yeah. So, but, but we, you know, recognise that. And, you know, I think donors, I always say to people, you know, support a cause that you're really passionate about that matters to you. Um, and, you know, for every individual, that's something yeah, different. Yeah, something different, exactly. Um, so the next question I was going to ask was, like, what, what sort of fundraising activities, is it, is it like direct mail or do you go on the speaking circuit or how do you actually, how do you actually do that? Because <laughs> well, we're not, you know, we're not talking 10 bucks here. I guess it, it can be small amounts, but yeah. it, it's, is it also the larger amounts or... Yeah, it's a combination. It is some small amounts, like in our Christmas and winter and back to school appeals, you know, we will get small cash donations from people and some of those people will give us a small cash donation every year of $10 or $20. And for many of those people, that's a big amount for them to be giving. That's Mm. a very generous donation. Yeah. Uh, So these are, you know, mum and dad Australians who aren't might yeah. be suffering themselves in, exactly. s- in some way. Yeah. And often they're the most generous, particularly proportionally, but also because they understand yep. how easy it is for a family uh, to be thrown into crisis and you know to be tipped into poverty, um, especially if they've had experience of it themselves. So it is small donations uh, right through to very generous individuals who support us who have to the tune of tens of thousands mm. of dollars each mm. year. Uh, and in between, we have your know, fundraising, uh, sorry, um, event activity. So, you know, when people do, a, you know, a fundraising run or that sort of thing where they will donate to us, you know, through the City to Surf websites. Yep. Yep. Workplace giving is a big source for us. We get about a million dollars a year from people who give through their payroll. And oh, okay. And that donation is matched. Wow. Um, okay. So that's fantastic because that's regular giving that yep. you know, we can yep. sort of rely on. Uh, there's obviously people who sponsor a child um, and they will give to us either annually or every month. Hmm. Corporate partnerships um, are also a source of donation and that usually comes in a lump sum. Trusts and foundations. So yep. Again, people who put money into a, a foundation and then they have regular distributions. Yep. Okay, well, that's been great. Thank you so much for giving us an overview today, Lisa. And if people want to find out a little bit more about the Smith family and how they can get involved, what should they do? <laughs> Go to the smithfamily.com.au. Our website's got lots of information there about how to volunteer, how to make a donation or to sponsor a child. And there's also a phone number on that site as well. Great. Okay, thanks very much, Lisa. Pleasure, Brendan. Thanks for having me in for a chat.